electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Jeff Mills will join us shortly. Tonight on Fast, the big downgrade that put Lordstown Motors on the skids. One top analyst slapping a $1 price target on this stock. Why he says it's time to unplug from this EV name. Plus, a retail wreck, Kohl's falling 10% despite a big beat and a bullish outlook. So what the heck happened? We're going to dig in. And later, to the moon, the headline that sent shares of Virgin Galactic rallying sky high in today's trade. But we start off... With a big tech turnaround, stocks charging higher to snap a three-day losing streak. The Nasdaq gaining nearly 1.8%, erasing its losses for the week. Big tech leading the way, but take a look at some of the other winners today. Pandemic winners and high multiple names also gaining ground. Names like Trade Desk, Zoom, Peloton, Shopify, Cloudera. Today's rally comes just a day after the Fed hinted that it is getting ready to start thinking about ending its bond buying program. So if the reopening rebound is real, if mass mandates are easy and COVID cases are falling, why are the pandemic winners, tech and high valuation names, still winning? What does that say about the mood of this market? Guy Adami, I start with you. Because they, they got obliterated. Hi, Mel. If you look, I mean, you mentioned Peloton. Look at the move in Peloton. We mentioned it when they reported a couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago, traded down to 80. I thought the metrics were really good, and it gave you something to trade against, and here we are at 100. So I think the simple answer is these things got so lambasted that they're worth a look. And the two names that stick Ooh. out to me uh, both start with N in terms of where you want to go. NVIDIA initiated a key bank today, I think $700 price target. Uh, that stock sold off enough into earnings next week where it's absolutely worth a look. And the other one is Netflix. And Tim will correctly point out that this stock has gone nowhere since last July. It's traded in this 475, 550 range. But you know what? Once again, traded down to 480, seemingly held. I think those are two names that you can absolutely trade against that fit the narrative you started the show with, Melissa. Have these names, Dan, gone to the point or some of these names gone to the point where they are considered value or more reasonable? I mean, you have been beating the drum when it comes to, you know, the software names, for instance, the cloud stocks, for instance, that have gotten clobbered. But even at these levels, are they worth a buy in your view? Well, I I think they're worth a buy when you start thinking about what secular growth looks like on the other side of the pandemic when things are a little more normalized. So you just said, our guy just said they've been hammered. Many of these stocks are down 30, 40, 50 percent or so. And we talked about this earlier in the week when Jim Shano said to me earlier, if the bull case is just how much they are down from the highs, you've got to think about things a little differently. But I guess what, what I guess is most important to focus on is this. We've seen this rotation while those stocks have underperformed into more cyclical names, more names that would be exposed to GDP expanding. Well, we've gotten that GDP expansion. It's going to decelerate on the back half of the year, right? And I, I guess I've been saying for a couple of weeks now, I think we're going to look back on 2021 and say this was the transitory tantrum, this kind of back and forth between inflation and what the Fed will or won't do. And you just said it, Mel. I think there is going to be a run up into the end of the summer as we get close to mm-hmm. that Jackson Hole sort of thing that we are going to be faced with the fact that they will be tapering and they 
will get inflation under control. And all of this was just a little bit of a tantrum because we're going to get back to those pre-pandemic levels of inflation that we're eh, you know what I mean? That sort of thing with rates, eh, you know, so we're just going to be in that period. And then you're going to go back to those secular growth names that have those recurring revenues that deserve to trade wow. at a premium to the market. So you are telling me, Dan Nathan, it sounds, is telling us that we are already trading past we're, we're going we're going out to next year and looking back at the tough comps that we're going to face. We are trading past the raised second half guidance that a lot of companies are giving us. Tim Seymour, are we at the time now where we actually look forward and say, you know what, the best times are here and we're going to trade the market that's two quarters, three quarters, four quarters from now? Right. And, and do we want to look forward to looking forward? And so I, I, I like I I'm of the view that the minute we start saying, hey, we're back to normal, this market's in addition to leaving the Fed dynamics aside for a second, um, just in terms of what we've been able to do with multiples and, and, and where we've been actually looking out and saying at, at the point they normalize, I'll, I'll approach it then. Well, it's it's that time. Dan used you know the word tantrum multiple times. He's right. Look, yesterday, uh, the word of taper tantrum 2013 was all over the market. And part of uh, I think that term in the market. So you talked about where, you know, coming out of those Fed minutes, I mean, very, very well crafted speech writing word by word that that threaded. I hate that term that that got us to a place where today um, I think markets were able to pick up on those trades that actually benefit the most when rates actually do nothing or actually stay closer to zero. And, and look, a half a point move on the 10 year today meant that Apple now further put a base under that 200 day that I talked about last week that I was very worried about. It hadn't pushed through since May of 2019. Well, guess what? Kind of feels a little bit like a distant memory. You have the Nasdaq triple Qs uh, now, you know, back above that fifth, uh, the, the 100 day. So you've put a little bit more technical support. You've gotten a little bit more clarity. But I think what we've all said is get out of the way when we actually believe that the Fed has to reduce and again, it's not about changing their policy aggressively. It's reducing right. the buying that I don't want to be around. So this is classic sell the news, Jeff Mills. We all knew it was coming, and now it seems like it's going to be closer rather than far further away. And here we are. But does that mean that some of these reopening plays are over? Does it mean the materials trade is done? Does it mean energy is done? Does it mean, I mean, all of these names that benefit from a reopening economy, an economy that is that is getting hot. Do we abandon those? I, I think we're a little bit early to completely abandon it. I mean, today felt a little bit like just sell everything that's associated with the reopening. I mean, at, it, it normalized throughout the day. But at one point, you know, you had utilities and staples outperforming along with the likes of Zoom and, and Spotify and all of those stocks. So it really was everything else working, this little bit of a mean reversion trade, and then the reopening, <clears throat> the values, the cyclicals. That was what's down. But Dan sort of alluded to kind of peak growth, peak everything. And I, I agree with that to a certain extent. But I think I think we're going to be at peak for a long time. And, and I think that's the key. So I think PMIs remain elevated. Usually in that type of environment, you see strong earnings growth. You see companies who are level, levered to cyclicality do well. You have benign financial conditions. And you know, I think we've seen this recovery bounce in the data. We've seen the junk rally. And now it's focused on value and fundamentals and even fundamentals within growth. I've been seeing it for a, saying it for a while. And I don't think I change my tune until I really think LEIs like PMI are going to roll over. And I think you have some time there. You know, the PMIs are very highly correlated to the changes in interest rates with the lag. So that would forecast rolling over sometime in Q2 of 2022. I think you still have room because housing strong. 
I think consumer sentiment, consumer credit still has room to catch up. So I, I think we see this peak data for a while. So I think it elongates the cyclical value trade at least for another quarter or so. How long do you stick with cyclicals, Guy? I think, I think you stick from, for a while in terms mm-hmm. of banks, for sure, yeah. until they get at levels where they don't make sense. And in terms of not making sense, we mentioned this in terms of tangible book. When a Wells Fargo starts trading north of one and a half times tangible book, you pull the ripcord, and I think that's what Warren Buffett did, and Karen and Tim did similar. I want to just illustrate something to our audience, and I know, do you trust me on this one? Because I'm going to point something out, and you have to answer honestly. Yes. The one thing that drives you nuts is the improper use of further yes. and farther. Yes. And you caught yourself about 90 seconds ago, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I, I'm ashamed that it even came out of my mouth as farther at first. I don't know what was going on. I know, but you, you, you went right through it. 99% of the people out there wouldn't have picked up on it, but I'm the 1%. I'm the 1% that caught it, Mel. Back to you. Farther meaning distance. Further meaning something that is intangible and immeasurable. Anyway, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Even with today's wow. rally, Wall Street's biggest bull says the market is still on sale. Jonathan Golub is a chief U.S. equity strategist, head of quantitative research at Credit Suisse. Jonathan, great to have you with us. Good to see you. What happens when the Fed, let's say, just for argument's sake, at Jackson Hole, Start saying, you know, we're going to start thinking about or we're going to actually, you know, curtail buying bonds. What happens to this market? Are you still bullish? Yes, I think I think we are. I mean, we're seeing an enormous amount of stimulus. I mean, at the end of the day, this story is all about exploding earnings. Um, You know, consumers have an enormous Uh, enormous balances in their checking accounts, whether they got money from the government, whether they just didn't have the ability to spend, whether their portfolios were up in value. And that is going to be unleashed as the um, as we're all vaccinated and get into the summer. We're all told we can go back to work. So that's a, a huge positive. The fiscal spending is not over and we are meaningfully underestimating the uh, the earnings with record level um, type beats on earnings announcements. Mm-hmm. So do I want to see the Fed um, renormalize? Yeah, I actually would like to see things kind of get back to something that's a bit more normal, because what we've seen is just, you know, unbelievable levels of stimulus that ultimately ends badly. In terms of the stimulus, though, and you mentioned the sort of um you know, the, the, the good effects of stimulus immediately, at least within the economy, when it comes to fiscal spending, that will come. If we have increased fiscal spending, that will come with tax increases, whether it be on the corporate level or on the individual level. When it comes to some of the individual stimulus programs, at least 21 states have opted to end federal unemployment benefits early. How does that factor in to your view of the markets? Uh, yes, it's, it's interesting that if you look at just, let's say, the corporate tax that we're talking about, which let's say that, that Biden gets exactly what he's asking for, which is a move to 28 percent on the corporate tax, that would shave off about 6 percent off of profits. So that, let's just assume that that's basically what you would see as, as a hit to stocks. However, um, companies um, are beating by 22 percent this past quarter. And so we, for example, um, increased our earnings estimates for next year from basically $210 of profits on the S&P to $225. And then when we took it down for higher taxes, 
we took it down to 215. So we actually increased our earnings estimates, including this tax, because the um, because the the numbers are coming in so strong. So in general, I would be you know somewhat concerned about the hit from taxes, but it's just being overwhelmed by how strong the economy is. And let's call it what it is. We have an overheating economy that ultimately is going to end badly. And and so um, the fact that the Fed may take their foot off the gas a tiny bit should not be a concern to anyone. Hey, Jonathan, Jeff Mills here. I just had a question about market leadership. You know, obviously today we saw this big reversal based on you know what had been working and what was working in 2020. Looking forward, you know, whether it's the Fed talking about tapering, whether it's risks on the policy side, how do you see the complexion in the market developing in terms of leadership? Where do you really think you want to be? Right. So well, let, let me let me start off by saying that I'm I'm a growth guy. I think over the long run that growth stocks are going to win. I think over the long run, the U.S. is the best market in the world because we are the innovation capital of the world. For the last 10 years, I've been almost, um, you know, overweight growth almost the entire time. This is the, the, the first time in a long time that I basically said, run this value thing really hard. I think that the cyclical trade, um, and I think it was Guy who may have been mentioning this before, I think the cyclical trade has between two and five quarters more to go. I think banks look probably more attractive than any other group. I think that energy and materials and industrials and basically old economy stocks, they do really well in an overheated economy, which is what we're seeing. So this doesn't last forever. And I'll be back on here talking growth, but not yet. And Jonathan, when you say the market is on sale, what metric are you using? And at what point would you say, you know, even if even if you say things are going to run for two to five quarters, I mean, if things run really fast, really hot, then then you might say, you know what, it's time to pull the ripcord. So what sorts of metrics are you looking at? Yeah, I'm just looking at something as simple as P.E. multiples. And, okay. and here's what here's a, Melissa, here's a mistake that the people make. If if the market's up 30 percent, people say, wow, the market must be expensive. But if at the same time the earnings were up 40 percent, then the P.E. multiple fell. In, in August, <clears throat> um, we had a P.E. multiple in the market of about 23 and a quarter. And today we have a P.E. multiple that's around 20.5. Maybe with today it's closer to 21. Um, so the, the market is about two or two and a half multiple points cheaper since last August, even though the markets run like crazy. Yeah. And so the, the, the issue is that the P in that P.E. formula is just having a hard time mm-hmm. keeping up with how good the E is. Um, when, when, does the, the, the earnings be, when does the valuation become an issue? It's when the, uh, when the earnings start to slow down, that, then that's a whole different story. All right. Jonathan, great to have you. Thank you. <clears throat> Pleasure. Jonathan Golub. So that's a good point in terms of the, the P of the S&P 500. We're about one, two turns difference from where we were last August. And yet this time around, we have much more visibility. Balance sheets look a lot better. And, and we've got a pipeline of orders in a lot of different industries, Jeff Mills. Yeah, no, no question about it. I mean, you can do back of the napkin math and you look out to 2022 and earnings estimates continue to go higher. I think they're somewhere around 209 today. So you slap a 22 multiple on that, which is around where we've been trading. And there you go. You magically get to that $4,600 price target. So I, I don't think it's all that ridiculous given the backdrop that we have. And, and we've had some really strong momentum. And I think in the near term, that probably is a negative. You know, you look at the percentage of stocks trading above the 50 day that started to deteriorate 
deteriorate a little bit. You look at some risk appetite metrics, you know, whether it's discretionary versus staples, whether it's high beta versus low beta. I mean, there, there's a very good argument to be made that we're losing momentum here and we could have a correction. But <clears throat> that would be healthy. That would be normal. And right. over the long term, I think the momentum that we've experienced is actually re- a really <clears throat> good thing. One extrapolation here, Dan, and I'll ask you to make it, and that is if we have uh, some bid for risk assets or riskier assets like high valuation stocks, should that be good news for crypto? Um, yeah, I mean, listen. SPACs, you name it, know. all those things. I, I actually, actually, you know what? I'm going to answer a different question. I have no idea. Okay. Um, but what I will tell you is if there is a bid for those stocks, then the market is getting to, uh, you know, Golub's 4,600 number because we know that, you know, $4 trillion of, of Amazon and Apple have been, you know, consolidating now since September. It really haven't confirmed any of the new highs in the S&P 500. The S&P 500 has massively underperformed the NASDAQ. So if NASDAQ becomes leadership again in some of those biggest names, and then you have all those recent IPOs and some of those, um, you know, you know, those big secular growth names, if they start to kind of participate again that are down 30, 40, 50 percent, you're going to break out. You're going to have new highs, and that's going to be a great thing. I guess as far as valuations concerned, I'll just say this. On the other side of this pandemic, as we enter 2022, you tell me what is the multiple that the S&P 500 should trade at if we have inflation between 2 and 3 percent, if we have the 10-year at about 2, 2 and a quarter, 2 and a half percent, where Guy thinks it could be going, um, and then GDP, again, between 2 and 3 because again, I think this is a transitory tantrum. I think we get back to where we were before, start worrying about the machines taking all of our jobs and the negative effects of globalization or the deflationary effects of it and potentially weighing UBI again. That's where I think we are next year, looking back. The good old days. (laughs) We've got an an after hours alert on Home Depot. Shares on the move after the company announced a $20 billion share buyback after the close. Remember, the company just reported earnings on Tuesday, so this um, was a little bit surprising that the announcements were separated. But um, Tim Seymour, uh, not much reaction in the after-hour session on this one. No, I, look, we, we know how uh, certainly cash flow positive their business is. We know where their margins they, Look, the gross margin improvement in that last quarter was amazing. When they gave you this insight into what their business is, uh, their May comps up 30 percent month to date, year over year. I mean, these are some extraordinary numbers. That's really what the market didn't have uh, enough excitement around. And again, it's a P.E. multiple thing ultimately for Home Depot, uh, but a, an earnings quality dynamic. And I think raising a buyback, great news. We knew it was a healthy company. I think investors are waiting for a bit of a pullback here. People and those that are trading the housing sector and relating uh, the, you know, the home retailing stocks, uh, I don't know, should be looking at the same metrics. But I think that has had something to do with and just massive run for Lowe's and Home Depot. Yep. Coming up, we're all over some after hours action. in The chip space supply materials on the move after reporting results. The call is now underway. We'll bring you all the details next. Plus. Ford charging higher as the company unveils its new electric pickup truck. Buckle up. We are putting the pedal to the metal on that trade when Fast Money rolls on. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind. 
just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on applied materials, a stock volatile after its report. Let's get to Dia Jabosa with the details. D. Melissa, remember, this is the largest semiconductor equipment maker by revenue. So it is set to benefit from the chip shortage and increased manufacturing. As you said, uh, it, heading into this report, it had rallied nearly 50 percent so far in 2020, making it the best performing chip stock year to date. It is bouncing between gains and losses in the after hours, down about one and a half percent at the moment, following a strong print. But given the backdrop, the street was expecting strong results. On the call, CEO Gary Dickerson emphasized the strategic importance of the semiconductor supply chain, which is, of course, getting renewed attention at the federal level. He added that he thinks that we are only in the early innings of secular trends that will drive semi-equipment markets higher, saying that for the first time, customers are scheduling orders multiple years into the future. He calls this a new leading indicator for demand sustainability. He calls DRAM the next fastest growing market while he sees NAND growing at a more modest rate this year. And finally, Melissa, AMAT is looking to return more capital to shareholders. It announced during the quarter that its board approved a new $7.5 billion stock buyback plan, along with a 9% dividend increase. Back over to you. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa, Guy, why do you think the stock turned lower? I don't know why, because the quarter was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, the EPS beat, the revenue beat, and they got it higher for the third <laughs> quarter. And it's not a big multiple stock. I mean, you're talking about AMATs probably have 13% EPS growth or so. Um, their EPS growth year over year is 83%, but you throw that out given what was going on this time last year. But 19 times forward earnings, it's not an expensive stock. With that growth, with the guide, I'm surprised. Now, the only thing I can say is the stock was up big today. Maybe it's just given a little bit back in the after hours. But I think given this quarter, it should be trading towards the recent highs we saw. So I would buy a mat here. A beat, a raise, and the CEO saying a decades-plus investment cycle. I mean, you think about all the chip fabs that are being announced across the country. Intel, for one, what do they need? They need the equipment that's being manufactured by names like Applied Materials, Lamb Research, etc. Um, Dan, where do you stay on this trade? Well, it's interesting. So you talked about like this the secular trend, right? Mm -hmm. And then you talk about that chip makers don't want to get burned again, right? Not having the ability to get the inventory. So I look at this thing, and Guy just said, trading well below a market multiple. Now, 
kind of high relative to its history, but I hear the term recurring revenue, right? If, if this is going to be a different trend in which equipment is being bought and the speed in which some of these chips are changing. So to me, it should definitely trade at least at a market multiple. So I'm with Guy. There's no reason why this stock should not be back towards those recent highs. All right. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. It's electric. Ford charging higher as its new electric truck has investors plugging in. Buckle up. The traders are revving their engines on this trade. Plus, say cheese. Snap hits 500 million monthly users. And that has the stock surging. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Welcome back to Fast Money. Ford charging higher as the automaker unveiled an electric version of the best-selling vehicle in America. Ford debuting the new battery-powered F-150 pickup truck called Lightning. Here's Ford CEO Jim Farley earlier today on Squawk Box. We have three electric vehicles that Ford's going to be out in the next, you know, 10 months. We have the Mach-E already sold out for several months. Uh, and we have 70% of the customers new. We have the new E-Transit coming at the end of the year. You know, America and the globe's most popular van. And then we have the lightning coming next spring. So in the next 10 months, we're going to have these three high volume vehicles. That leads us to our call of the day. Lordstown Motors plunging Wolf Research, downgrading this stock to underperform, giving it a $1 price target. Analysts pointing directly to Ford's new electric pickup, saying these are pricing levels that Lordstown simply cannot match. Jeff Mills, what do you think? Well, look, the competition's here. And whether it's Tesla or whether it's some of these newer EV companies, it's going to be difficult in some cases to compete. So I don't necessarily disagree with the call. And when you're talking about Lordstown, I mean, you know, all sorts of issues there, ongoing SEC investigation, questions about governance, I mean, questions about performance of the product. There are all sorts of things. So um, that's speculative. I feel like it always was. So with a stock like that, never never bet more than you're willing to, to lose. I think with Ford, there's definitely an opportunity there, but it, it is trading at 10 times Ford. So surprisingly, that's sort of at the top end of its range. Maybe some of these announcements relative to EV afforded a higher multiple, time will tell. Uh, and, and I certainly like what they're doing with the Mustang and the F-150, but maybe for a time, just given the move that we've had, the easy money has been made. But I think there are other ways to play this, right? If the F-150 Lightning is actually successful, then I think it could accelerate the development of EVs with other manufacturers. And we hold companies like like Aptiv or Standex or Analog Devices. Those types of companies are going to benefit too. So I think there's a number of ways to play Mm -hmm. this, whether it's directly the automakers or some of the infrastructure. I think what is particularly interesting about this Wolf call is that let's, let's say every single issue that Jeff had mentioned was gone, was resolved, and you wave a magic wand and you can produce Lordstown's um, EV pickup truck, the price point is $52,000, and that is still higher than the higher-priced Ford EV pickup truck. And that is, is the issue, Guy, that even with the vehicle that they say that they're going to manufacture, if they can manufacture it, 
it's still not going to be able to compete with Ford. And plus, oh, by the way, Ford has got a, a brand name. It's known for reliability, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Great point. And, you know, there's no cachet in telling your buddies that, hey, I got that great Lordstown. I mean, it's one thing to say Ford. They don't have the name recognition either. So you can't that price point just doesn't make sense. It's a fascinating call. I mean, the easy call if you want to downgrade a stock is, you know, say seven and a half dollar price target. Stair step your way down to a dollar. They basically went the double dog dare from 18 to a buck, which, you know, I admire the temerity behind that. It's a similar call. That Rich Greenfield made an AMC, obviously completely different industries, but you understand what I'm saying. I'll say this about Ford, and Tim will agree, I'm sure. You know, they're going to earn a dollar seventy-ish next year, so ten multiple on that dollar seven, you have a seventeen-dollar stock. I think that's where it's headed. I mean, the analyst goes on to say that he believes liquidation to either a new entrance or to Foxconn or a Magna, for instance, might be the best option for shareholders. So he's going all the way down. I mean, talk about double dog, triple dog dare, if that exists, Guy, um, in terms of where this analyst is is going with this. The question is, um, Dan, you know, Tesla's going to have a pickup truck, too. And so does Tesla have enough cachet to compete with all of these other vehicles? Yeah, I, I do think it's interesting, though, we're talking about pickup trucks that really won't be on the road for a very long time mm-hmm. at this point. And, and, you know, we did hear CEO Farley in that interview mention um, that the Mustang Mach-E, I have one. He did say that 70 percent, it sounds like, of the buyers are new buyers. I haven't bought an American car in 20 years, you know, and I think that is a really compelling argument to be made. And when you talk about the ability to do it at scale, I find it very hard when you even think about the difficulty that Tesla did with the Model 3, the mass market Model 3, where the average price was well over $40,000, well above the average car price in America, about $35,000. So to me, I can't speak to Lordstown. I agree with what Guy said. I do think there's some really interesting things going on over there at Ford. All right. Well, Lordstown is just a handful of EV SPACs falling into the crosshairs of short sellers. Check this out. Nikola, Lordstown, QuantumScape have all been targeted by shorts over the past few months. So what's driving all this activity? Let's get to Leslie Picker, who's been doing some reporting on this. Leslie. Hey, Melissa, that's right. It's been a winning bet for EV bears in recent months. Just take a look at this chart. It says it all. Shares of EV companies that were taken public through SPACs, big declines, as you can see, since February and March timeframe. Now, short sellers have made paper profits of about $412 million this year on these names alone. And short interest as a percentage of float remains double digits for most of these EV companies that went public via SPAC. Now, short seller Carson Block told me earlier today that EVs are the, quote, most speculative corner of the SPAC universe. A big reason why, he says, is that many are pre-revenue and share pie-in-the-sky financial projections as part of their merger marketing. Especially with EV SPACs, it's really things that are, you can't say are theoretically impossible. They are theoretically possible, as is, you know, major asteroid hitting the Earth in the next, you know, week. Um... But they're not realistic. And that's unfortunately why retail investors have been burned. Block had been short XL Fleet, but says he recently closed that position amid a threat of a gamma squeeze forming through dialogue on Reddit. He says he's not currently short any other EV names at this time. Now, another big reason for all of that short interest in this space is that investors are concerned about competition. That's according to auto equity analyst David Whiston. 
when you're comparing these EV specs to to even Tesla, that's still pretty young, but is going to do nearly a million vehicles this year, uh, let alone the likes of a GM and uh, a Ford, Toyota, Volkswagen, et cetera. Um, it really begs the question, is, is an EV spec the best investment uh, for, for a, a wide range of, of investors? And the answer is probably not. Of course, all of this hits at how the electric F-150 will impact Lordstown that you were just discussing earlier. Melissa. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker, I thought what was interesting was sort of the uh, the role that Reddit and Wall Street Bets played in, in Carson Block closing out his short and XL fleet. When I heard Gamma Squeeze, I thought I got to go to Tim Seymour uh, on this one. <laughs> Love the Greeks. Love the Gamma Squeeze. And, and by the way, Lordstown would not could never have been an IPO. Um, so if you think about some of these SPACs, and I, I actually think SPACs as vehicles, I think people are misunderstanding the dynamics here, but, but there have been a lot of companies that have been part of SPAC mania that, that never would have been justifiable IPOs. And I think this is exactly what the analysts are saying, what we're saying in terms of why, you know, Ford's business, by the way, they've never, uh, they've never been more profitable. They've never cut their, their, their bad business lines, especially those in Europe. Um, and then you layer on the F-150, which is not just, you know, a high, a high margin truck. It's the most popular vehicle in North America. And you turn that into an EV story. I mean, there's no way you want to partner there. Um, I will say on SPACs also, you know, in terms of this is more of a markets conversation, but the SPAC index um, after you know, going through a very difficult time has actually traded up four out of the last five days. So maybe this is a dead cat bounce. But I do think uh, what was very, very overbought. And again, shorting SPACs, it, it's, it's deep end of the pool, folks. Um, liquidity very tight in a lot of these names. Yep. Coming up, no filter on these gains. Shares a snap jumping after the company announced a major milestone in the social media wars. We're looking through the lens on that trade next. Plus, Virgin Galactic hitting the stratosphere today. The headline that got this stock blasting off when Fast Money returns. We have breaking news out of Washington. Eamon Javers got the details. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, we expect to see President Biden on camera at the White House shortly. He's going to make remarks in the wake of the ceasefire announcement between the government of Israel and Hamas, which would halt nearly two weeks of fighting that has caused hundreds of casualties. CNBC will have more on the president's speech and the reaction in the region tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern on the news with Shepard Smith. Melissa, back over to you. All right. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Jabbers. Meantime, let's turn to shares of Snap. They were powering higher today after the company's third annual partner summit. Let's get to Julia Borson with all the details. Julia. Yeah, Melissa, Snap shares up about 6% after the company announced it reaches half a billion users every month. Previously, it only revealed daily active user numbers. That number is 280 million. And at Snap's Partner Summit, the company unveiled a range of new augmented reality tools to make the platform more appealing for developers and creators. One of them is the ability to scan products and find similar products, similar looks to buy online within Snap's app. Now, there's also the ability to use augmented reality lenses to try on clothes and bags with both motion and voice commands. Also, to find accurate sizing for the likes of eyewear and jewelry. Plus, now businesses can build profile pages and offer the option of, for users to shop directly there. Now, for creators, Snap introduced gifting. This is a way to tip Snap stars, new pro editing tools, and an online destination to watch Snap content off of the app. And for the company's quarter million developers, Snap's new tools include the ability to layer a map 
onto everything else they're doing. Now, one of the company's partners is Poshmark. That stock soaring over 9% today on news that it's bringing a mini shopping experience to within the Snap app. We're going to be talking about all this and more with Snap CEO Evan Spiegel. He's going to be joining me tomorrow morning in Tech Tech. Melissa? So just to get this straight, Julia, you try on, you know, guy tries on a bag, um, some jewelry, and he decides he wants to buy it. He can remain in Snap and actually make the purchase. Yes. So you could go in. You could, for instance, Poshmark is going to have a mini shopping app within Snap. So you can either log into your shop, your Poshmark account, or if you're another retailer, you can buy it within the app itself. So, of course, Snap wants to make it easy for brands to be able to keep people buying things, but also <coughs> not swiping away from right. the Snap app, right? They want to keep you inside their ecosystem. All right. We look forward to that interview, Julia, on Tech Check tomorrow. Julia Borson. All right, Guy, I asked for you because I know you're asking. This is the holy grail to keep people in an app, but actually yeah, I, buying I, things. Huge news. And I'm going to listen, I'll stick around on my Snap application to get that beautiful Chanel bag that I've been craving all these years without question. And I will tell you, you go back to April 23rd, and I'm sure Dan Nathan is shaking his head. That first quarter they reported Snap was really, really strong. Stock was $58. It's sold off since. Go back and look since January. This is the third time now the stock has held 48 and a half, 49. I think you're going to see analysts raise their numbers and raise their price targets. I absolutely think you buy the strength and snap here. And I appreciate you pointing out that everybody likes a good bag from time to time. <laughs> Dan, you were shaking your head, in fact. <laughs> I was shaking my head. I mean, listen, you know, I, here's where I struggle. And I think the whole panel would say this. This is an $87 billion company. They have, you know, less than 2% of the ad sales that, let's say, Facebook and Alphabet have or Google have together. It's just, you know, so it's trading 22 times sales. I mean, so social commerce, great. Guy, buy that bag within your Snapchat. It just, it's just really hard to justify. And I think I've said this on before on one of the games that we've played. I mean, Twitter and Snap should just smush together, right? There's just a lot of complimentary stuff there. They can get some more heft as, as it relates to the, to, you know, the advertising platform, that sort of thing. And there's a lot of good things that they do differently. So maybe Julia, tomorrow morning on Tech Check, should ask Evan if he and Jack are going to have a little sidebar. Let's get serious about this thing and let's take on the big incumbents. Unless you think that's, I mean, the multiple for Snap reflects that there is the promise of commerce. There is a promise of commerce within a demographic that maybe Facebook doesn't have as good access to as Snap. Um, Tim Seymour, can you see the case for Snap here? Uh, I, I kind of agree with the, the valuation. Um, I, so, you know, this stock is two and a half times pre-COVID levels. Um, what has changed for the company in, in the last year um, that's really warranted that re-rating? Now, maintaining uh, both the, the higher ARPU that they saw in those great Q, Q1 numbers Guy referred to and also the, the ad spend, which we all know is up across the space. But um, look, Yes, having access to, to a, a commerce, look at what it did for Facebook on shops. It was a driver for the valuation there. I just, you know, I, to me, there's a scarcity value in the space. It's a way to get exposure to ad spend. Look at all the kind of the digital ad software uh, companies and the valuations they have. And, and it's, it's the entire space is, is, I think, frothy. And I think it's representative of the high multiple stocks we've talked about multiple times, even though Snap is, is certainly executing on their business plan. All right, coming up, we've got two big moves coming your way. Virgin Galactic blasting off while Kohl's checks out. We are breaking down what is behind these trades, plus a big bet in biotech. 
Options traders are tapping into one name, and the prognosis may not be great. We've got all that and much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Virgin Galactic topping the tape today. Shares closing up almost 15 percent after the space tourism company announced another test flight for its new space flight system this Saturday. Jeff Mills, what do you think of this high flyer? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. But if you look at the chart, for example, so May 13th, right, that, that's the date that all of these speculative stocks, you know, whether it's whether it's this particular stock, whether it's ARK, I mean, go across the board, the stocks that are trading together in that way, that's when it bottoms. So it's sort of riding that momentum. But it, it's speculative in nature based on its business model. We all know that. I'm not saying anything new. Are people going to pay for this? What's recurring business going to look like? What does competition look like? So I think it's going to continue to move with that trade and, and the broad market. I mean, granted, the, the thing's down 65%, uh, but it's still trading at 220 <clears throat> times forward sales. So <clears throat> if, if you believe in the story, maybe it's a reasonable entry point. I just think if you want to play space, there are other more diversified places to go. I mean, even the UFO ETF, for example, uh, it's 80% invested in companies that derive at least 50% of their revenue from the space industry. So if you want exposure to that, maybe that's a better place to go, maybe a little less volatile, a little less speculative. The UFO ETF, Guy Adami. What do you think of the notion of playing space at this point in time? Yeah, I would rather buy the whoever makes Bonine or Dramamine because there's no shot of you getting me a zero chance. I mean, I will tell you, though, in terms of space, the stock... And Jeff will point out, I mean, it mm-hmm. traded 90 million shares. It traded like almost eight or nine times normal volume. So I had this huge flush. Obviously, the stock had a good day today, at least in the form of that double bottom that it's forming. You have something to trade against. But, you know, you ain't getting me in space in the air and you ain't getting me in space in the stock. All right. Turning now to today's buzzkill, shares of Kohl's taking a nosedive of more than 10 percent despite a monster earnings beat this morning. The retailer also raised its outlook for the year. So what went wrong here? Dan Nathan, what what should we do with Kohl's? Well, listen, we were overstored for these sorts of stores pre-pandemic. Um, you know, I, I just don't see, um, you know, the, some sort of retail renaissance, especially for these sorts of stores, the mall-related ones, that sort of stuff. So to me, um, you know, we talked about Macy's not really acting particularly well after their good results the other day. I know Dillard's had um, a very good one, but I think this tells you all you need to know. I think these are value traps here. I don't think you want to chase them. Yeah. Tim, the CEO is very optimistic about the outlook. Yeah, I don't look and I don't think there's a lot of value. I I think they're recovery stories and actually the credit profile. I saw a couple credit upgrades today for Kohl's Mm -hmm. on the back of these numbers. Um, But but look, they also said that they're going to see margin headwinds from wages. They're going to see margin headwinds from an inventory build. uh, That is something that obviously is a post pandemic function. Look, the stock was a five bagger off of the lows of of COVID. I, I, I think uh, it's as we've said here, I, I don't know that anything dramatically changed to their business in terms of just an evolution that needed to happen. It's been rewarded. I think it's largely in the stock. All right. Coming up, options traders are betting big on one biotech name. Our own Tony Zhang is here to break it all down. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the Bank of America CEO, Brian Moynihan. Catch the full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. All right, check out the biotech ETF, the IBB rallying 2% today. Tim actually flagged this move. So what's your trade here? 
Well, I tell you, if you look at the IBB, you see where we had struggled. And, and a lot of this was also just like Gilead's been a dead weight around the index. I think it's about six percent. Uh, Moderna is part of the driver here. But, you know, overall, why are you buying this ETF to get exposure to biotech is because, look, in, in Amgen, you have an exciting pipeline. You've got a great balance sheet. Same thing in Gilead, although it's been dead money. Moderna is a high growth company that really does have catalysts. And, you know, after re-rating dramatically, I think has built a base here. So, um, you know, possibly another breakout here, as we've seen the overall uh, pharma and biotech space be defensive in a high multiple environment. 54 minutes in and no would you rather. So here it is, Guy. Would you rather big pharma or biotech? <laughs> biotech in the form of IBB, and Tim is right, 174 and a half. It's not coincidental that IBB topped out just as the peak great news for the vaccines came out. But IBB has held 147 and a half a few times since March. So would you rather IBB? All right, let's bring in Tony Zhang, who spotted some big options activity on one, one biotech name in particular. Tony, what'd you see? Yeah, so Gilead today traded very actively, averaging normally about 24,000 contracts, but today we saw 99,000 contracts. But 75% of that was from a single trade, where a trader rolled 17,500 contracts of a short synthetic stock position out to August. So buying themselves about 90 days to take effectively what is a 1.75 million share short position in Gilead, about $121 million in notional value. Now, I don't think this trade is actually an outright short position. I do believe that this is a hedge against perhaps an equity position that this investor currently owns in Gilead. Tim, did you say this is the dead weight of, of the IBB? Well, it has been. And again, yeah. there's been different periods to get excited about Gilead. But um, I, I think the jury is still out on this one, whether it was their move into oncology. Yep. Uh, it was a very exciting trade at the time, but um, it has been dead weight. All right. For more options action. Thanks, Tony, by the way, Tony Zhang. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trades. For the final trade, let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. We started to talk with Jonathan Golub about trades that are structural within the market, the auto sector and, and the banking sector and some of these industrials. These are finally breaking out after a decade of doing nothing. So the story around Ford isn't just the F-150. It's a company that's now run right. And it's an exciting part of the EV world. So Ford Motor Company. Jeff Mills. I'm a buyer of the Disney dip here. I think anything approaching support in the low 160s is a good entry point after that Disney Plus miss. It's still going to be a huge growth engine for the company, and parks are open, so Disney. Dan, Nathan. Yeah, I, I agree with Mills on that call, holding Disney at 170 there. But I also think that you're going to see Twitter back near 60, filling in that gap here to me. So um, I like Twitter here. Guy Adami. Mel, on a scale of 1 to 10, how shocked were you last night by uh, Corey Kluber's no-no? 1 to 10. 8 and shocked, a half. 8 and a half, hands down. Yeah, You easy. know, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, you're so good at this. It's incredible. Well That's done. what I was thinking, 8 and a half. But, I mean, well done, Melissa. I tell you, your sports knowledge never ceases to amaze. Hey, Matt, I thought the quarter was good. I think the stock trade's higher. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. 
Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.